I want you to notice the first couple things that come to your mind when I say this. Frugal living. For some reason, this tends to carry so much baggage. There are so many negative thoughts around the idea of living frugally. Today on the podcast, we have Jen Smith, who is a personal finance expert and the co-host of Frugal Friends podcast. Jen has been on a mission to help people spend in alignment with their values. And today she comes on the Debt-Free Mom podcast to talk about how frugal is not an F word. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Today on the Debt Free Mom podcast, we have Jen Smith, who is the co-host of Frugal Friends podcast. And if you are not following that podcast yet, if you're not subscribed and listening and interested in, especially at the beginning of the year, listening to more people who will encourage you in getting your finances together, please go right now as you're listening and follow the Frugal Friends podcast. So Jen, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Like, obviously, it's Frugal Friends, but what is what's the aim of what you guys do when you're sharing episodes each week? Yeah, so we want to teach spending as a skill. A lot of people think frugal is cheap. Frugal is spending as little as possible, race to the bottom spending, not spending at all. We believe frugality is spending. It's not opting out of the system. It's not opting out of spending, but it's learning how to spend well, learning how to spend on what you value, building the boundaries and the habits to say no to the things that you don't value, and the mindset of curiosity to figure out the difference between the two. Yes, I love that. I I know I also come across the same kind of questions or resistance to the idea of not spending as like, oh, I'm denying myself something and I can't do that. And that's not what we're, you know, supposed to do. A lot of things we hear are, you know, like the YOLO mindset of if you don't do it today, you might never do it. So you might as well go out. And so I love that you're cultivating this whole audience and this mindset around frugality being a really positive thing that adds to your life, not that takes away from it. So the topic we I loved when I got this email saying that Jen wanted to talk about how frugality is not an F word. And I love that. So can you talk about maybe what are some things that you come across that people say where they have these negative connotations about frugality? What would be the most common things that you hear where people are like, this is why I don't want to be frugal? People want to spend money. That's why they don't want to be frugal. They want to be able to have fun and spend money on the things that they love and like. And so they don't want to be frugal. Frugal is often a means to an end. Mm -hmm. So people will try to, quote unquote, be frugal in order to pay off debt, in order to retire early or do this or that financially. 
but we love frugality as a lifestyle because it really is freeing. It drastically reduces the need for budgeting or rechecking your budgeting because you're in tune to what you want to spend on and what you know you want to say no to. And it is, it's a lifestyle that's it's sustainable. It's good for the planet. It's good for the people around you abroad. There are so many reasons to fall in love with frugality, but we see so many people not want to be frugal because of those negative connotations that come with, again, race to the bottom spending and yeah. just being cheap. Right. And I, I think, yeah, there's this fine line between cheap and frugal, right? And I think because we don't mm-hmm. want to be cheap, then sometimes we might overcompensate and switch all the way to the whatever the opposite of being cheap is. Because we think of things like your parents take you out and everybody tries to say, okay, nobody's supposed to drink soda or, you know, even as you're an adult Mm -hmm. or whatever. And those things that we might have a a negative experience with, especially in our childhood of being stingy or saying no to everything fun. And so then as we grow up and get our own paychecks and our own money, we think, well, now I'm going to do the opposite of that. But I know for myself and for other people that often then you hit a hard wall if you live like that eventually. So I know for us, we became frugal as a means to get out of debt and save up an emergency fund. And then kind of like what you said, transitioned into, oh, this isn't something that we just want to do for a short period of time to accomplish a goal. It's actually how we enjoy living. So what was your initial shift into being frugal? Was there a specific goal you were trying to achieve or was it just a lifestyle you wanted to have permanently? I would not. I thought I was frugal because I bought like generic brands and I would get the grande instead of the venti Mm -hmm. at Starbucks, you know, like all the stuff. But it really like my transition to embracing and loving frugality as a lifestyle did start when we were paying off debt. And I did view frugality as restrictive. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it. I my goal, because I bought the generic brands at the grocery store, I was like, I'm going to side hustle my way out of debt Mm. like that. I'm just going to work hard. I got a great work ethic and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to change my spending habits because I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And two months into that mindset, I got shingles from overworking, working myself too hard Mm -hmm. at the ripe age of 26. Oh my goodness. So that's when I had to really take a look at my spending and I started to adopt frugality and I was miserable. Honestly, it was miserable because I had that deprivation mindset. I kept looking at frugality as what is this keeping me from? What do I have to say no to? And so on and so forth. And so we, and I made it to debt freedom with that mindset, Mm -hmm. honestly. And it wasn't until we paid off our debt and I, we, we started investing a lot. We were like, had this hangover, this debt payoff hangover. It's like, okay, I worked so hard, so fast for this one goal. I reached it. And I don't know what to do now with all this energy, with all this momentum. And that's, I think, why the FIRE movement just yep. has taken taken off over so many years. And then I got laid off about nine months after we paid off our debt. And it forced me to, to reset and relook at why, why am I hustling so hard? Yeah. Like, what's the purpose? I never, like, really asked myself since we started paying off debt, what the purpose behind my actions were. Because I knew why I was paying off debt. Like I had that that why, I had that deeper yes. But then I never reevaluated it. And so that pause really forced me 
to think like, what is enough? Yeah. What's enough for me? Because I had never defined that. What's enough in my financial goals, in my income, in my spending? And it was that question that started me on this path of frugality, not as a means to save, 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 but as a means to get more of the things money can't buy. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm wise with my money and I'm wise with my time spent earning money, then I can get the things that I truly want, which are not the things that I can buy or the experiences I can buy, but the actual things behind the people using the things yeah. and the people experiencing the experiences. Yeah. I think when we first become frugal, like you said, it's, it's in order to achieve some external goal. It's not in order to let go of stuff or experiences. But what I've found for myself and heard from other people, too, is that even though we might initially start being frugal as a means to paying off debt or saving up, the experience of living frugal actually changes how you approach those things. And the things that you felt like you were being deprived of at the beginning no longer become things you're even interested in. So it appears on the outside that you're still living frugal, but it's like, oh, actually, I don't even find value or joy in those things like I did first. But sometimes it just does take that reset button where we initially feel like, oh, all the stuff that I used to buy is now gone. And so my life is empty, all those really limiting beliefs. But giving ourselves mm -hmm. time to then see, well, what am I going to fill my life with instead, right? Like if I'm not buying all that stuff, if I'm not constantly taking myself out after I do one tiny work task and feeling like I need to reward myself, what am I going to do instead? And I have found over time, you know, even though from the time we started paying off debt to where we are now, our finances themselves look nothing like they did then. And I still almost find them as these like creature comfort habits of being frugal, right? Like it's like, no, this is actually how I enjoy living now because we did it for long enough. And that shift is subtle. And like I said, it's not going to be seen by the outside. So someone outside, you know, looking in at your life would be like, oh my gosh, why does she live that way? You know, doesn't she, she said she's debt free. She should go spend it all. But the reality is that you are still continuing to spend on the things that you want. It's just that the definition of those wants has changed over time, which I think is the cool process of being able to be part of that. So now compared to when you started, now what's your definition of frugality? Like what does it look like when you're deciding to say yes or no to something? What are maybe some of the things you filter through in terms of I'm frugal, but I am going to buy this or I'm frugal, so I'm going to go ahead and say no to this? Yeah. So the, the first and foremost is I focus on getting the best bang for my buck. And that does not come in coupons or skipping $6 lattes. That means we look at the big three. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics does a study, you know, does an intake every year of what Americans spend the most money on, their highest percentages of, of expenses. And the top three are housing, transportation, and food. Okay. And so those are the things that we focus most critically on. Mm -hmm. And then everything else we can ignore because mm -hmm. if we're making the right decision, it's like the 80-20 rule. If you're looking at this, the 20% things that make up 80% of your spending, the rest of it, it's important. We got the, we got the vital few and the useful many. They're, they're useful, 
but you have to start with the vital few. Mm -hmm. And so we have been really intentional with our car purchases. We definitely, we still use car loans. Mm -hmm. So we're not, we we were 100% debt free and then we chose to go back into debt so that we could have money to buy a fixer upper, an investment property Mm -hmm. and cash flow renovations. And so it's using our money wisely Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're getting best terms, lowest payments, paying off debt wisely. And and so when you're and then food, being really di- diligent about meal planning and making meal plans that will actually follow through with, yeah, not you like pretend eat. meal yeah. print. <laughs> right. Like meal plans that I'm not, you know, gonna get to Thursday and be so tired and have this like 40 minute prep meal. Yeah. No, we don't do that. We're looking at our realities and being like, what is my capacity? Mm-hmm. What is my enjoyment? Because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it. And then how how can I save the most money capitalizing on these things that are reality? Mm-hmm. And that's never going to be like at zero. Yeah. Right? We're always going to be spending money. We're not opting out of the system. Mm-hmm. But we're being intentional yeah. with our choices. And so- so that's the first thing. And then figuring out what are the the things mm-hmm. that I like to spend on. And then saying yes to those without guilt. Mm-hmm. And then when you say yes to the things you love, saying no to the things you don't. Mm-hmm. So building boundaries with people, boundaries in social media, boundaries all around, yeah. boundaries abundant. Yes. To be able to say no in as many cases as possible mm-hmm. to impulse, habitual, emotional, pressured spending situations. So yeah. those are the big ones. So I love that you mentioned those big three because I think a lot of times when people feel like money is really tight or they come to the realization that maybe they're spending more than they make, they can narrow in on what you call like those little things, those useful things, but they're really small. And sometimes there's an elephant in the room that's that their, you know, mortgage is 40% of their take home pay. And it's like you could eliminate every subscription you have. You could eat at home for the rest of your life. And if these big things are too heavy inside your finances, it's just not the math's not going to math. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I love that you bring up those two as even though those obviously it's a much harder change to move than it is to cut back on coffee or whatever. But the impact, the positive impact that that change can have is sometimes also so much disproportionately better that those are the things that we have to be willing to at least look at. I like to Mm -hmm. encourage people, let everything be on the table, at least for a moment, you know, at least consider, give yourself time to say, is this mortgage payment, car payment, lifestyle, whatever, actually adding to my life? Or is it really actually the source of my stress? And then and then going down to those small things. That's why I, I remember one time I said, stop canceling subscriptions because people were ignoring all the big stuff. And they were like, oh, man, I just I got to get rid of Netflix. And I'm like, it's fifteen dollars a month and you're short mm-hmm. five hundred dollars a month. Like it can help a little bit, but we, we might need to look at some bigger pieces to find where that value is or is not coming from, which it doesn't sound, maybe it doesn't sound frugal to say, leave your subscriptions alone, but I think it kind of helps shift that focus, right? I think it's it's smart because frugality, in essence, is just being efficient. Mm-hmm. We're being efficient and good stewards of our money. And like you said, if you're $500 short, 
a $15 subscription isn't moving the needle. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say no to yourself every day, whether it's at the grocery store, at Starbucks, on takeout. That's hard. Also hard to change your living situation or your transportation situation. You have to choose your hard. And more often than not, the barrier to entry, changing your housing and transportation and food, it is... The housing and transportation has a higher barrier to entry, Mm -hmm. but in the long run is easier than saying no to yourself every day for the rest of your life on the smaller things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, if you switch your car, you go through the annoying process of maybe selling the car you have and then and then buying a different one that has a lower payment or whatever it is. But then once that's done, it's done. And then you go about your life. And it's that, like you said, the efficiency, it's lowering your decision fatigue. I don't have to Mm -hmm. drive by a car dealership every day being like, oh, just ignore it in the same way that we do with you know, coffee drive through or a food drive through So I love mm-hmm. that perspective too of it might be a difficult decision, but you make it once and then it pays dividends. I mean, if every single month your car payment is now $400 lower because of that one change you made, as opposed to trying to scrounge together eight little changes that add up to $400 a month, it is much more efficient in the long run, which I love that. So, yeah. and, and people tend, when we think about housing and transportation, people tend to go to the extremes mm-hmm. and being like, oh, I can't, I can't cut down to 900 square feet or I can't drive a beater. Mm-hmm. Nobody is telling you to move to an unsafe neighborhood, drive right. an unsafe car, none of that. There are places, and we call it the radical middle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the nicest, newest, biggest, yep. but it's not the crappiest, slowest, most breakdownest. Yep. You know, like there is a radical middle for you. You just have to find it. And that in, and that's also frugality is searching for your radical middle. I just I posted something a couple of days ago where I said that homes were becoming a status symbol. And a lot of people pushed back and said, well, everybody needs somewhere to live. And I said a very similar thing. I was like, yes, they absolutely do. I am not a proponent of homelessness in any form. Right. <laughs> but I was like, there's probably a very wide variety of choices mm-hmm. we can make inside of the category of having a home. And my point was that I think sometimes some people slide themselves along that spectrum further than they're actually comfortable with because of the idea that it's an external symbol of, oh, that person must be super wealthy because look at the front of their home. And so somebody might say, oh, that home is a little bit older, but inside are people who are living comfortably and have space for the things that they want to buy. That's the breaking away from the external pressure to do something above and beyond your means simply because of how it looks on the outside to other people. How do you or how have you found ways to be okay with maybe the outside opinions of what you are doing, that you do live in a way that's probably seen as swimming upstream to some people? So what would you say to people who are listening who maybe as they listen in their car and they're by themselves, they're like, yes, I do want to do this. I do want to live this way. But then they get out into the world of their coworkers and their friends, and then they feel that pressure to be too much to actually make the changes. What would you say to them? Yeah, it is hard to go alone. We don't recommend going alone because we go further together. Mm -hmm. So you got to find your people and you got to have some, some thick skin to laugh it off too. Like we, we find that, it's easy to be judgmental in the frugal community. Mm-hmm. We like to say that we're very open-minded, but we tend to judge people for spending on things that we don't ourselves yeah. value. And so 
first, we've got to stop that Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people who are spending within their values and spending within their means. Mm -hmm. But there's also the people you work with, you are in community with that that are spending outside their means. Mm -hmm. And so looking for people who are on the same financial trajectory as you, maybe not where you're at, but like are going where you're going. And that can be found for me. I had to unfollow people on social media that were doing things that were not in my immediate goals, Mm -hmm. not because I didn't like them, not because they were not my friend, Mm -hmm. but because it bummed me out Mm -hmm. to see them doing things that I wanted to do, but I'm intentionally putting off. Yeah. And then I also had to like invite people to do free things Mm -hmm. to see if they wanted to really hang out with me and be in relationship with me, Mm. or they just wanted to do the things Mm -hmm. and they just wanted somebody to do the things with. Mm. So those those were the biggest things, but we really do need community. We were not made to be such self-reliant, independent, isolated beings. Mm-hmm. Like we need each other. Yeah. And so while it does take a little bit of of thick skin and just mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, yeah, this is the way I'm doing it. Yeah. It's a little weird. Meh, you know. We do need to find our people yeah. that that get it. Yeah. And I think if what I come back to is if someone who I would currently consider to be a friend is so appalled by the way that I'm living, maybe friend is the wrong definition for that (laughs) word, right? Like maybe that relationship isn't going to carry through past when you become frugal. But I also find sometimes it's normal and natural to shy away from feeling like the oddball, right? To feel like the the one who's not doing the normal thing or the group thing. So I do think, you know, re-shifting who you are surrounding yourself so you feel find like-minded people. But also sometimes I like to see it like as an experiment. Like I was like, when things are in my head, I build it up to be like, oh, so-and-so is really going to care what I do or they're really going to judge where I live, what I eat, whatever. And seeing it as an experiment of, I wonder if I actually did that, if that person would even notice. Because a lot of times we build it up in our mind to be Mm -hmm. that they care or notice way more than they actually do. And so I like to attack on the line and nothing bad happened when I mention like frugal things or even just little things. Like if I share a recipe and somebody's like, oh, where do you find this ingredient? And I say, oh, I just left it out and nothing bad happened. You know, like just realizing that we can make those decisions. And a lot of times what we imagine is going to be the negative reaction sometimes never shows up in reality, right? And I think once we do that a few times, then we start to realize and have that bank of experiences to look back on and say, oh, I've done this kind of thing multiple times and nothing bad happened and nobody left me. And my siblings were not like, oh, we're never talking to you again because your car is twice as old as mine or, you know, like. But I think it is easy to build it up in our head as something that's going to wreck our lives. And it's like, test, test the waters, like do one or two of those things mm-hmm. and actually have a real experience and see if the negative that you're imagining even comes to be at all. Yeah, we are far more self-absorbed mm-hmm. that, you know, with ourselves yeah. than other people yeah. are. And we love doing recommending no spend challenges, mm-hmm. not because of the money that you save by not spending, but because of all the opportunities it gives you in one month 
to identify how to get creative mm. with meeting your needs without spending money. So it gives you all those opportunities to to just think of what can I how can I do something differently? How can I meet my need in a different way? Mm-hmm. And just like, yeah, the the experiences you were referencing, it gives you so many opportunities for that in a shortened time span. Yeah. And and we don't even really think about the money saving part of right. it. Right. So you're doing you guys are doing a January no spend challenge right now, aren't you? So yes, what are your are. if somebody is like, I've heard about that, but it sounds way too restrictive for me. What are the rules that you do and don't follow that if you know, I mean, I, everybody can make their own rules. But what do you guys kind of say are the ins and the outs of a no spend challenge? Mm, yes, there's this fantastic book on Amazon called the No Spend Challenge Guide. I wrote it. Awesome. Full disclaimer. Love it. <laughs> So there's, if you are very interested in no-spend challenges, I would recommend picking up the book. But the short version is you kind of look back and, and you can start with a 90-day transaction inventory if you really want to get into mm-hmm. it. Look at what are the things that are costing you the most. Not even the, what are the things I'm doing the most, but what are the things that are really costing me mm-hmm. the most. And then from there, you can either make a list of three or four things that you want to cut out. And then that's your no spend. So some people would call that a low spend. Mm-hmm. I call it a no spend because I am not spending on those things. On those things, yeah. And then, yeah, or you could do like a full no spend. And some people get confused because they're like, but what if I need gas? Yeah. And I'm like, are you impulse spending on gas? On gas, yeah. <laughs> no, then it's not, it doesn't count. We're not looking at right. that. And they're like, but do you buy groceries? And I was like, do you need to <laughs> eat daily? Yes, yes, we are not on a 30-day fast. We buy groceries. Yeah. There are a lot of people, myself included, I don't keep a big enough stockpile mm-hmm. to do 30 days of no grocery spending. I've always purchased groceries on every no spend challenge I've done. But yeah. where we usually spend 150 200 per week on groceries, I'm keeping it at $50 per week to just try and clear out some sure. of that pantry stuff. Like I had a pad thai kit that I impulse bought on a unplanned grocery store trip months ago. And I finally Finally made made it. it. (laughs) Finally. So it's like stuff like that. Like you have stuff like that in the back of your pantry, in your freezer, maybe your fridge. Check to see if it's expired first. But so that's the kind of thing we are. So my list for January is takeout, coffee out, like takeout coffee and anything on Amazon. Okay. And so those that's my list. Yeah. Those are the things I'm not spending on. And it just causes me when I go, oh, I should, I need that. I should get it on Amazon. To so, cause me to pause mm-hmm. and be like, oh, wait, no spend challenge. How can I get creative and meet that need without spending? Yeah. The other day I ran out of diapers on the no spend challenge. I'm not getting creative right. with diapers. <laughs> yeah, I'm no. buying the diapers, yes. right? So there's there's levels. Yeah. And the goal is to pause Mm -hmm. and think about how you can meet a need creatively without spending or when you do spend and you will inevitably spend. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge. If there is no friction, there's no point in doing it. When you spend, you can then reevaluate and be like, how can I plan and prepare so when the opportunity spent on that again comes up, I can make a different decision. Yeah. So you you end up learning more about yourself than you do about your finances, I think. And I think that's the Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think people are when they hear a no spend challenge, it's it's just like, oh, well, they really need a thousand dollars in their emergency fund. And so that's why they're doing it. But I love that you're 
not emphasizing the how much can we add into our savings or investments and actually emphasizing how much can I learn and grow inside myself. And then you'll be able to carry whatever you learn in that month into other months where you are spending. So if somebody doesn't maybe want to do a full challenge, if they're like, okay, that feels a little extreme for where I'm at now, what are some of those first things that people can be like, that's a low stakes frugal move for me that I could start to move into to move towards this idea of frugality? Yeah. So I'll I'll just reference like coffee because that's an easy one. A lot of people get lattes out, Starbucks, whatever. So I would say maybe if you don't want to do a full no spend challenge, just start with a challenge to make the best cup of coffee at home that you can. Mm-hmm. Like get creative, try to get creative and make a really great latte or nice cup of coffee at home. Because when you're doing it at home better than what you can get out, you'll choose to do it at home more. Yeah. So when we make the challenge about how can I do it better versus how can I take it out, then we then we can see more success. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really low barrier entry yeah thing to do. But you can also do a no-spend challenge and just like, I want to accumulate 15 no-spend days in one month. Mm-hmm. Or I want to do no-spend weeks and then I'll spend money on the weekend. So you can you can kind of customize it. Yeah. Yeah. I know somebody who tries to only spend on Mondays and Fridays because that's just like, the, those are the days that work for her, her errands, running her errands and getting her stuff done. And so she finds that on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, she either says, oh, actually, I don't think I really need that, or I'll save that for Friday. And just by kind of batching the idea of these, this is when I spend, just having an on and off button gets us mm-hmm. out of this mindless spend, right? If we, if we give ourselves permission to always spend whenever we want, the, the decision is off, right? We're not actually like filtering through, do I even want this? But when we even in a small way give ourselves like, okay, we're not spending right now and we're going to decide later. I love, you know, even the idea of uh, similar to what you're saying would also be like, if you put something in your Amazon cart, you need to wait 24 hours until you actually check out, right? Like sometimes just giving ourselves a little barrier between when we feel the impulse and when we actually decide to act on it is all we need to really cut down on, ooh, I can't believe I would have bought that if I had let myself do it immediately. And now that I'm looking at it, you know, even 24 hours later, maybe the need is no longer even there, let alone, you know, being interested in or budgeting for it or whatever it is. Um, So I think finding just little ways that give your brain a little pump the brakes, think through it in a bigger sense than just how you feel right now can often be just enough to get you over the over the edge of but I want it that idea of like but I feel like Mm -hmm. having it right now because I do think a lot of times when we have been so used to saying yes constantly then the only reason it's hard to say no is not because saying no is hard but just because we haven't found a different way yet right and so just the change itself is hard not that actually saying no temporarily is hard if you're not paid once a month why are you budgeting that way A monthly budget ignores the fact that sometimes your expenses are due before the next paycheck is available. A pay period budget is built around your unique pay schedules so that your money doesn't feel like a mess. Create an accurate, realistic plan for getting the most out of each paycheck. Get started budgeting by pay period today with the best-selling budget template and mini course from me, Debt-Free Mom. It's available for just $9 at debtfreemom.co slash template. And I love 
when you said make the best cup of coffee at home as a, a coffee person myself, I love that. But I think that there, there is so much truth in that because I think the false comparison people are making is, well, the good coffee is at the shop and the bad coffee is at my house. So if you're telling me not to go to the coffee shop, you're telling me to only drink bad coffee. And it's like, well, there are solutions to bad cups of coffee at home, right? I think that is a really helpful way to, even if it involves in a short-term spending money, you know, maybe you need to buy a bottle of vanilla syrup so that your coffee tastes the way that it does there or something. But what, a bottle of vanilla syrup costs $7 and then it's giant and it lasts you, you know, a couple Mm -hmm. months. And that can really help with that too. And before we started recording, I mentioned to you that we had just traveled and several people had said, I feel deprived when I go out on a trip and then I cook my own meals. I, when, I, when I travel, I want to eat my meals out and I want a break from cooking. And what I had kind of said was the, the frugal part of the trip, which is eating our, most of our meals in the, where, wherever we are staying, is actually opening a door for me. It's not closing it. And so shifting my focus to by eating our meals in the house that we're renting, I'm able to be here with my family and travel that helps me. I didn't once think on that trip, I feel so deprived right now because I was like, I'm at Mm -hmm. this beautiful little cabin on a lake in Wisconsin with my kids and like, this is so fun. So I think the the perspective shift is more important than what you're actually doing, like cooking the food or, or the coffee. It's just hard to start. Mindset is a completely like American way to travel too. We hosted Airbnb like in uh, a room in our old house. Mm-hmm. And every time we would host Europeans, they would always use our kitchen yeah. and cook their meals. But every time we had an American, nobody touched our kitchen. So like, interesting. It's, a ve- it's when, yeah, when European people travel, they cook their own meals. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, just a different lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. not like an automatic deprivation. People don't vacation in order to escape their lives. Mm-hmm. Some people are vacationing to enrich them and enrich yeah. the people around them. That is, that's so interesting because if we see every everybody around us, you know, eating out while they're on vacation, then we say, well, that's what everybody does. But sometimes if you stretch who you're looking at a little bit farther to look at a different mm-hmm. culture, it's like, oh, maybe I believe that about travel because of what's around me, not because it's actually true, not because the only way to travel or the only way to enjoy traveling is to make sure that you never touch anything in a kitchen while you're gone. Would you agree or disagree with the idea that sometimes actions need to come first and motivation can come later? Or do you try to lean into finding ways to want to be frugal? Or, you know, I I think sometimes like when I say I don't want to cook dinner, but I'm doing it anyways, people are like, oh, I don't I don't like living like that. I'm not going to do something that I don't want to do. And so I say sometimes action needs to come first and motivation needs to follow. But it's not always something that people agree with. So I'm interested in your take on that approach to frugality. Yeah, to to an extent, I do agree there's two types of motivation, internal and external. And so at first, when we're starting a journey, we focus a lot on external motivation. We reward ourselves for doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But the only sustainable form of motivation is that which comes from within. Mm -hmm. You have to truly want to do it. You have to love it. And you don't have to love it 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. But there has to be something more motivating within you that 
that has you choose to do the thing that you don't really want to do mm-hmm. versus the thing that's easier. Yeah. And so when you have like for us reducing food waste isn't just a method to save money. It helps the environment. Mm-hmm. It helps our communities. If we have less waste, fewer landfills, then we can save money on our utilities. We actually mm-hmm. save money on those bills. But overall, it's just good for the earth. And mm-hmm. so it motivates me to use all the food I have in my fridge, even maybe when I don't want to. Yeah. Not just to save money and, you know, but because internally I want more mm-hmm. from from my community from my world and so that's that internal motivation that i have and i always say like if if you're frugal just to save money Mm -hmm. then you're not going to stick with it you have to fall in love with it you have to fall in love with who it makes you uh who you are who you're becoming who is doing it with you fall in love with the lifestyle the process all the things that it brings because when you do that, that's the internal motivation that keeps you sticking with it. Yeah. And you will see the benefits long term. You won't, quote unquote, fall off the wagon. Right. Because it's not a wagon. Mm-hmm. It's just you mm-hmm. living this beautiful lifestyle that benefits not just you, but the people around you, the people you can't even see. And it really does get easier with time. Like it it just, it the way that it feels when someone starts is not going to be the way it feels even, even two months down the road, let alone, you know, five, 10 years. I often find myself caught off guard when people will ask questions like, how do you, how are you okay with depriving yourself of X, Y, and Z? And it's like, I don't feel deprived because I'm saying no mm-hmm. to something I don't want. I don't like doing that. That doesn't add value to my life. So I think when, when that question gets asked, it's often their own values being projected onto the way I'm living. And they're thinking, well, if I did that, then I would feel deprived. But real, there's so much contentment and freedom in being like, uh, well, you know, I, I know that everybody else is living that way or, you know, driving that kind of car. I just don't want to. So I'm not, you know. And so I think that yeah. often then having that little bit of time where even if it was challenging at the beginning, it's like, yeah, like we talked about before, it's just building that bank of experiences to w- to the point where you get to no longer feeling deprived because you're like, this is actually my version of an abundant life. So what people are saying is, Carly being deprived or Jen saying no to herself all the time is actually us finding our right yeses and nos. And and inside of that does not feel like deprivation. You don't feel deprived if you're saying no to something you don't even want in the first place. And it gets easier because every time you do it, you see more of what you really want. Mm -hmm. Every like every month where you have said no to some things that were hard to say no to, and you end up being able to say yes to things that you weren't able to before, every time you have that experience, it gets easier to say no to more and more things you don't value. Because we are told to value everything. We're told to want everything. Mm -hmm. Marketers see us as consumers first, people second. Mm -hmm. And it was written 100 years ago in this this book of marketing and propaganda. And that's like literally what it's called. That mar- the book of marketing was to make people want things before they need it. Mm-hmm. Make people want things that they don't need. And so for the last hundred years, marketers have seen us as consumers first, people second. 
And we need to flip the narrative mm-hmm. and view ourselves and each other as people first, consumers second, yeah. which means we can't say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. We can't want everything because then nothing is special. Nothing yeah. is sacred. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes just realizing that we, I think we like to believe we have an elevated view of our own critical thinking, right? Like we like to believe like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I would never buy something simply because of the way that the target end cap looked. You know, I would never be so bamboozled by advertisements that I'm spending on things that I don't actually want. And it's like, there is a, you know, eight figure machine behind that company, all centered around from the time you walk into the store to the time you walk out, how can we get the most dollars out of that person? And I, mm-hmm. I just, you, you come to realize, oh, oh, maybe, maybe stressed out, frazzled me on a Tuesday running through Target might not win against the Target marketing team, right? And Even so, not stressed out and not frazzled. Yeah, yeah. Like, even at our best, just, right? The, even at our best, they are so good innovating every year faster than we can keep up. Mm-hmm. And so we need to realize like, hey, I'm not going to be above this. I don't have time for another full-time job figuring out how marketers are trying to make me spend. Right. So I need to set some boundaries Yeah. so that I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Protect ourselves from those influences once we recognize how powerful they can be. So you said you unfollow people who are maybe promoting a life that you don't want for yourself or you're not ready for yet. In the world of social media in general, I mean, both of us are on there and talking about other stuff. I think the influencer idea is a really interesting subsect of that marketing because it moves from when we're watching TV, we know that something is a commercial. So even if it's influencing us, we know that we're watching an advertisement. It's called an ad. But then we get on Instagram and half the people we follow are our friends from high school and people we work with. And then the other half are people that we maybe start believing are our friends and acquaintances, but they are selling to us. Um, And so it's a much more subtle, and I think that's why it's uh, lucrative, um, form of marketing. So in in addition to just unfollowing everybody who does that, do you, what are some boundaries that maybe you've suggested to people in the past or just ways that they can be aware of how they're being marketed to in those subtle ways, like on social media? What have you seen there? Yeah, we just had a whole episode, like de-influencing yourself from social media. And we had our friend Paige Pritchard on, who is like a massive social media influencer, but de-influencer. Yeah. And creating, first curating Mm -hmm. your content, but don't make it all, it doesn't have to all be educational or entertainment. So Mm -hmm. like I'm nine months postpartum. I'm dressing a new body. And so I just recently discovered mid-size, mm. like mom, yeah. you know, TikTok, you know? And I, and I love it because it's giving me these ideas that I never had before. But I have to be careful and set boundaries that I don't impulse spend because all, all of their recommendations are fast fashion. Yep. And I want to shop sustainably and I want to shop things that will last, not just short-term styles. Mm-hmm. And so because I've set that boundary in place, I can look at the things and be like, that's that's a trend. I'm not going to do that. Or that is something that is really going to like – that's a style that's very going 
very much going to last. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can find that from a sustainable place. Yeah. And they're more expensive, so I'm not going to be consuming massive amounts of clothing every year. I'm going to be motivated to curate the closet more carefully because I'm I'm spending more, but I know my things are going to last longer. Yeah. So so having just like going into social media with boundaries, Mm -hmm. knowing that I mean, marketers are innovating more. Mm -hmm. They know that we now see these reels and these TikTok videos and and we can spot a sponsored post. Mm -hmm. We can spot an affiliate link. We can spot when somebody's just trying to hawk something at us. So they're moving into story-based and emotional marketing Mm -hmm. to make you feel connected emotionally to a brand, Mm -hmm. to think that when you're buying from that brand, you are supporting things that you value. So not even just like, um, you know, nonprofit work or or philanthropy, stuff like that, but you're supporting people Mm -hmm. that you value and their employees and and all this stuff. So, which is great. Yes, we want to support people, but that's marketing. That is a new marketing technique. So they are combining really good things with ways to get you to spend money. Right. And that's why we say marketing's not bad. Advertising's not Mm -hmm. bad. It's not spending money isn't evil. Mm -hmm. But you just have to be aware that these are highly like advanced marketing tactics. Mm -hmm. And then you decide for yourself if you are going to be influenced by it. Yeah. Intentionally. But we want to avoid unintentional influencing. Yeah. I think it's just harder. I, f- I find it personally easier to say no to like a Target ad on TV than I do to watching Instagram stories of someone who I may feel I'm like, oh, her life is like mine. And, you know, we're similar, whatever. And she has all these things in her kitchen. Therefore, all those things should be in my kitchen, too. Right. And so mm-hmm. having a little bit just, you know, a little bit of boundaries around if I find an for me, what I do is if I find that an account I'm constantly like I've had several instances where I've impulse bought something because they shared it and then either it arrived and I didn't like it at all or I just realized how much I spent and I'm not happy with that. I think the idea of the things that we follow being called friends is also what makes it harder too because then it's like, oh, well, by unfollowing that person who maybe I've had some direct DMs with, it's like, you know, defriending someone or something. It's like at the end of the day, especially if they are those true influencer accounts where it's like, Amazon hauls daily and that kind of thing. This is a business, right? Right. Like they're running a business. Mm-hmm. And if I, if the purchases don't align with what I want to do, it is completely fine to unfollow that. And, and like you said, curate my feed to be something different and something more aligned with myself. I just think it, it does get harder as it feels more subtle or more natural to be wanting to be like that person or follow in their footsteps or have a house that looks like theirs or whatever it is. Those, those subtleties can be tricky. Yeah. And you can always mute someone or like indefinitely or just for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Instagram's gotten very advanced with wanting you to keep following people. So they allow you to mute them for an amount of time. And so you can try that as well if you don't want to unfollow people or if you don't want somebody to see that you unfollowed them. Yeah. Then the mute button is magical. Yeah. A little boundary, a little reset, and then come back to it and Mm -hmm. see how it goes later. Right. So to wrap up, as we're kind of talking about frugality is not an F word. What would, if you could tell people what an ideal definition of frugality would be, like as they go go and turn this off and so now they're going to re-enter their actual lives and they're actually going to be bombarded with these ads and these decisions and stuff, 
what do what what maybe like one liner would you want them to have in their head where they could say, oh, I actually could choose frugality as a really positive thing for my life. Mm. Frugality is being a good steward of your resources. So that's not just money. That's your time, your natural resources, your physical space, your mental energy. And so when we are frugal with the resources that we have, then we're living a fulfilled life. We're living a life that gets us more of the things money can't buy, that gives us the space to pursue fulfilling work and and all the things that we we really want that nobody's marketing to us. Yeah. There's no there's no money in selling you being at peace with what you already have, right? Mm, there's no money in it. Ain't no money. I checked. I checked. I yeah. Checked. If if we would, we could, right? Somebody yep. would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. I love that. And I, I hope that as people listen and like I said, that they might be listening and they're like, all right, I have I have the courage to do it now. But then as we send ourselves out into making those decisions, sometimes that courage can die down. And so having in in your head as you're listening that frugality is a positive thing that adds to your life and makes you efficient in the things that you care about and is not not there to deprive you or have you walking around feeling deprived. I know I certainly don't walk around feeling deprived even though I live frugally and I don't think Jen is describing her life that way either. All no, right. I love my life. Yeah, yeah, same, same. And we want that for other people that are listening too. I think that's why we're passionate about it, right? Because it's like, hey, actually the, the thing you're being told about being frugal isn't real. So where can people find you to listen, to follow along, resources you have, where are you at? Well, you can listen to Frugal Friends wherever you're listening to this podcast. We release a new episode every Tuesday and Friday. And we also have a free newsletter that we release on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We tell you where to get free food, like free food promos. Uh, We share a favorite savings hack. We focus a lot on how to get affordable quality over cheap quantity. Mm -hmm. And then we also share excerpts from the book that we're writing about values-based spending and and just it dives a lot deeper into like the topics we talked about here. So you can get that frugalfriendspodcast.com. Awesome. Well, we will link both of those in the show notes as well so people can uh, listen along and read along. And thanks so much, Jen. I appreciate this conversation a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back to Not Worth Your Money, where Carly and I We'll talk about something that may or may not be worth it. So this is one that I have conflict. I don't know where I stand on it. And so I'd like to discuss books. Like actual just like real, like real life books. As opposed to a library book or an ebook. Like do you buy the physical book? And the reason that I'm conflicted on it is I could not read the number of books that I read if I needed to buy all of them in order to read them. However, I also know, especially as time has gone on with like the line of work that I have, that there's no kickback for the author if I exclusively absorb all their content by checking out the library. Yes, that's a great one. I I mean, personally, I either will read a real life paper book or I will listen to the audio version. Mm-hmm. I I just don't really read ebooks. Right. I I just can't get into it. But your question is do you check it out for free from the library or do you buy it in support? Right. Like when do yeah, when do I 
place an order for the book knowing that the author put an immense amount of time and effort and expertise into this book? Am I going to enjoy it for free? Which like next episode is going to be about libraries. I'm a huge fan of libraries and free resources, but I also am conscious of the fact that there is an author doing work behind all of the books that I am reading. I know there are several authors that I tried to make a point to buy books, but I'm not as avid of a reader mm -hmm. as you are. So that's not a, as big of a problem for yeah. me. Most of the authors that I know that I like to support are thought leaders, you know, business coaches, people that I get a lot of value from mm -hmm. professionally. And so I do like supporting them by purchasing books. Right. Like if it's going to be a nonfiction that you want to read over and over again or be able to like make notes in it or underline or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that those are definitely the circumstances where I find myself buying a book. I don't know if I've ever like just straight up purchased a fiction a book. A fiction book. Yeah. Um, I have some, but not a lot. So the related one then off of that, then that I think you could speak more to is I think should you buy or listen to music free is a connected question to that. And now we're on the flip where I'm more of the reader, not the music listener. But but I think it's the same idea that there is a artist of some kind behind the work. Do we find free ways to enjoy it or do we monetarily support the person that made it? So for you, what how do you decide, oh, I'm just going to listen to this on Spotify versus finding a way to like support? Because like, Spotify, quote unquote, supports the artist, but it's like point zero 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 one three pennies per listen or something. Yeah. I mean, I have my own music on Spotify and I think I've made, last time I checked, I had made $3. Wow. I know. <laughs> Snaps for you. <laughs> so no matter what level you're at as a musician, streaming is not making your full income so i know that the ways that i can support um, an artist that i do like is going to see live events uh, as often as i can buying merchandise and i don't buy i'm not a vinyl collector mm -hmm. and that's like the main physical medium for distributing music right now i don't have a record player but i know i have a ton of friends who are very into that and that's an awesome way to support not only like current expenses and stuff for artists that you like, but also an investment for their future. You know, you get to, you know, as independent artists, especially are promoting themselves to venues and to get on other tours and whatever that they can show music sales, vinyl, streaming numbers, merch sales, all that stuff helps to perpetuate an artist's growth yeah i think the so i have not bought a music album since probably 2007 i would guess sometime in high school i don't even know what it would have been but yeah so i that's not something i do but i think the the conversation is an interesting one of how do we not because I, I think often we default to well why would you buy it because it's on spotify why would i buy that book it's at the library and so there's like this delicate balance that i know people who always choose to buy the book 
just in order to support the person writing it. Or I'm sure, you know, like you said, you know, people that always choose to buy the album or whatever. So it's a nice little self-check of, I think, the approach that we take to buying things because I personally am frugal enough that I do tend to be like, well, why would I buy it if I can get it for free? But as time has gone on, I've started to recognize more of the person behind what I'm enjoying for free and can I find some ways to sometimes choose to buy it instead of have it for free to, so that so that all of my decisions are not just filtered through how can it cost the least for me, but better how can it best align with my values as opposed to just how can I make something as cheap as possible for myself. Mm -hmm. Most of my wardrobe is black band t-shirts yes and affirm yes and that's because i've tried to support music as mm -hmm. i've gone to see bands and stuff and so it's kind of like i like how these things look and i like you know being able to passive aggressively push my music preferences on other people sure. <laughs> which has that's not that doesn't work okay <laughs> but it, it's it's a way to support the things that i value mm -hmm. um, which i think is what you're saying with the yeah. books yeah like how can i move away from making the end all be all how can i make this cost the least to me and instead like how can i have a filter through which i sort the things that i value so like the library is a fantastic way to access resources before you know what they are before you know if you like it or not you know just like spotify is a great place to explore new artists where like you wouldn't go out and buy an album of an artist you had never even heard of but you could discover it on spotify and then if you really liked it you could end up either buying their album or going to see a show or something so i think it's a good like gateway into discovering things you wouldn't have accessed before but as time has gone on like the reason i've brought this one up as our not worth your money is I've had times where I've been like, ooh, like I I would actually prefer to go buy that book for the sake of that author, even though I could access it at the library. Yeah. And I think my final thought is you can't support everything. You don't right. have the resources to value everything that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of comes down to personal judgment, like the kind of books that you read, kind of music that I listen to. I want to have more of that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just have all these artists or all these creators burn out after their first song or their first book. Mm -hmm. So it's a way for us to individually contribute to perpetuating that thing that we enjoy. But you can't do that for everything. So yes, yeah. kind of weighing those on balance. Thanks for listening to the Debt Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances. 